somewhere between sleeping and waking. On our journey towards the unfathomable deep, there comes a thin moment when we have one foot in the waking world and the other is in that other world where we relinquish conscious control. Pausing here and straddled between two planets that spin against each other like gears, an attentive traveller will see a narrow door only wide enough to sidle through. This is the border of sleep, a tumbling cascade of imagination and reality, a fault line in the tectonic crust of consciousness where volcanoes erupt the hot pumice of images and the languid ooze of narrative. Welcome to Stories from the Borders of Sleep, a fortnightly podcast of fairy tales for all ages from bordersofsleep.com, featuring original stories by your host Seymour Jacklin. Visit bordersofsleep.com to find out more. So, if you're ready to travel with me, then I shall begin. The Cat and the Mouse, an adaptation from the Brothers Grimm by Seymour Jacklin. He was a cat, and she was a mouse, and whoever would have imagined that they would become such inseparable pals as to share their home and fortune? Well, someone must have imagined it, otherwise it would not be so, for in the land of stories, nothing can happen if it cannot be imagined, and nothing happens but what is imagined. So it must be possible for a moment for you to imagine, if only for as long as this tale lasts, that a cat and a mouse came to live together. The cat and the mouse were best friends. Truly, the cat loved the mouse very dearly and was always sad to be away from her. In time, the mouse grew fond of the cat too. He knew how to make her laugh and was very charming. They spent many hours on the doorstep, in the sunlight, in the blissful conversation the Persians call Sohbet, the conversation of souls. My dear mouse, said the cat one day, it grieves me that we have to part at the end of each day, and as I go to sleep my head is full of the things that I wish I had said, that I long to hear from you about. Why don't you come to live with me, and then we could always have the pleasure of each other's company? I know what you're thinking. Cat. Mouse. This can't end well. We all know what happened to the fly when the spider sweet-talked her into its parlour. Please, suspend your judgement for a while, as you have already suspended your disbelief, because the little mouse agreed and moved in with the cat and they were very happy together. How is it, though, that having two in a house somehow seems to make more than twice as much housework. Both the cat and the mouse would share the duty of keeping the grate clean and the little fire burning in the hearth. They would sweep the dust and pound the laundry together and sing merrily as they did. Two like us you'll never find, a cat and a mouse of a single mind. Where the lion lies down with the lamb, the cat and the mouse live in storyland. Stranger things have been seen, believe me, and any citizen of Storyland would hardly pause to see the cat and the mouse folding dry linen in front of their little house. Such sights were commonplace in those parts. The mouse was more practical than the cat, and she took the long view, so she thought ahead 
to the time when the summer days would tip over the cusp of the year and begin to get shorter again. The mouse said to the cat, We must think about the winter and how we will supply ourselves when food is scarce. Let us see how much money we have stuffed behind the loose brick in the lintel, said the cat, and we shall buy a jar of fat to see us through the leaner months. This idea was well approved by the mouse, and they pulled out their savings and purchased a big stone jar full of fat, all white on top and smelling delicious. Where shall we store the jar until the winter, where it will be safe from others' paws? said Mouse, musing to herself. The cat overheard her, and was musing too. The little mouse thought of the safest place she could. Let us hide it in the church, where the good Lord can watch over it, she said, and this sounded like a good plan. So, that very night, in the twinkling starlight, the cat and mouse wrapped the jar in a sheet so it wouldn't make any noise when they rolled it down the road and pushed and tumbled it half a mile to the church where they stowed it under the choir stalls. Before they went home, this cat and this mouse looked at each other over the top of the jar. The mouse's nose nuffled and the cat's whiskers wobbled and the cat said to the mouse, Just a little taste and the mouse put her nose rarely close to the fat and took a deep breath. Ooh, yummy! Then she shook her head and said, No, we must save all we can for the winter. One little taste now, and we'll regret it in the cold months. So they scampered out before they'd changed their minds and raced each other home. Now June was probably the hottest yet, on Storyland Records, which are kept by a very forgetful lizard who is so often basking on the warmest days that he forgets to make a note of the temperature, so no one rarely knows. But life continued as usual for the cat and mouse, and the mouse found it easy enough to forget about the jar of fat stowed on the cool stone under the choir stalls in the church. For the cat, however, it was not so. Whenever he walked past the church, he fancied he could smell the most tantalising whiff of creamy white fat in the air. On the hottest days, he indulged himself with a daydream that he was cooling himself down with a lick of fat from the jar, and he began to wonder if anyone would notice if he just snuck in there and took the tiniest lick from the top. Eventually, it became too much for the cat, and he said to the mouse, A cousin of mine has had a child, and she's to be christened. Tomorrow I must go and join my relations and welcome this little one to Christendom. But it will be dangerous for a little mouse like you to keep the company of cats, so you'd better stay home. The mouse agreed, and said she had plenty to do making tomato ketchup. Well, the cat went to the church, and he had it all to himself, and although he had planned to just have a little lick of fat from the top of the jar, his tongue set away like a mad thing with a life of its own, and soon a good inch was gone from the top of the jar. If the cat had not begun to feel a little full and queer in his tummy, he might not have stopped until it was all gone. He carefully put the jar back, and cleaned the last drips of fat from his whiskers. Oh boy, that was good. 
He found a comfortable looking Neela under a pew and curled up for the most delicious sleep and when he woke up he sauntered out into the village with an innocent look and spent the rest of the day dozing and strutting across the rooftops and terrorising small insects. As evening fell he ambled home for tea. Mouse was just putting the last lid on a jar of ketchup and the house was full of the sweet smell of tomatoes. How did it go? inquired the mouse. Oh, very well, said the cat. The choir sang beautifully. And what was the little one christened? asked the mouse. What was that? said the cat, stalling for time as he'd not anticipated any sort of cross-examination. What was the child called? Oh, uh, top off, said the cat. Top off? My, that is a strange name, said the mouse. Not in my family, said the cat. My great-grandfather was called Top Off, and his grandfather too. They were cats in the house of the Tsar of Russia. So the summer rolled by, and the cat and mouse tended their garden diligently, and life went on as before. But after a while the cat found that, at the end of a meal, his thoughts would speak to him in this way. Now that was a fine meal, a fine meal. And yet, it would be nice to have something to finish with. Something to grease the gullet, perhaps a little fat, just a spoonful. He began to think about it just a little too much, and before long it became unbearable. Everything he ate became dry and dull in his mouth, and he longed to just be cleaning the fat off his whiskers once again. So he said to the mouse, Great news! My cousin has had a child, and he's to be christened tomorrow. I must go, for they say that he is jet black, but for a saddle of white in his middle, and this is very rare in my family. Well, go you must, said the mouse cheerfully, and give my regards to the parson. I shall stay here and have a day of sewing and mending. So the next day the cat made a great show of grooming himself and left the house shortly after a breakfast of milk and figs. He hurried to the church as quickly as was dignified and soon he had his head right in that jar. He couldn't slow himself down and although, as you know, cats are very fastidious creatures, his face was quickly covered in grease. He ate until he was right up to his shoulders in the jar and had to stop because it was getting hard to breathe in there. Then he fell asleep, sprawled right there on the floor of the church until the clock woke him with seven strikes. Oh, what have I done, he wailed. And he bounded home, pausing every few paces to clean himself. He even rolled in a patch of chamomile to make himself smell a bit better. He was sure that the mouse was going to be suspicious. But the little mouse suspected nothing. How was the parson, she asked. Oh, he kept blowing his nose, said the cat. I think he gets terrible hay fever at this time of the year. And the little one with the white saddle, what did they call him? Half out, replied the cat without blinking. The mouse shook her head and said, That is the strangest name I've ever heard. The cat sighed with relief, for he had not been found out this time. Now in the following days a little voice began to mutter in the cat's thoughts. There's such a silly bit left. You've had two-thirds of it, you may as well finish it off. What use is half a thumb of grease? 
The cat could not deny that there was some wisdom in these thoughts and he pondered upon them for several weeks, being so distracted at times that he forgot to lay the fire up for the colder evenings and he quite neglected to rake up the leaves that had blown onto the doorstep. So they came into the house and the mouse scolded him. One evening, as the nights were drawing in, the cat said, You know, it's been a good year for my family. Another child has been born, and they have asked me to be the godfather to this one. Then you must go, said the mouse. But please fetch me some tufts of sheep's wool from the fence on your way home. We could do with a little more bulk in the quilts. Indeed, said the cat distantly and licked his lips and stared longingly out of the window and down the road towards the church. The next day, the cat washed himself twice, but not very well because he was trembling with excitement. You're trembling, said the mouse, and he said goodbye to her. Yes, said the cat. I- I'm so excited that I'm going to be a godfather. It's-, it's a great responsibility, you know. The mouse waved goodbye to him from the front door and called after him. Don't forget the wool. Well, the cat got to the church and crawled under the choir stalls. He had to reach out that last layer of fat with his paws, scooping huge gobfuls of dripping into his mouth until it was all gone. All gone. And so he fell asleep again. And when he woke up, it was already dark outside. As he hurried home, he suddenly thought that maybe he should have hidden the empty jar so that it would look as if it had been stolen, but no it was too late he was running late already the mouse was sure to smell a rat or ask awkward questions if he was going to be any later in fact the mouse was very troubled when the cat came home they were down to their last chestnut and she'd carefully roasted it for their dinner but it had gone cold by the time the cat burst in apologetically and he'd forgotten to gather any wool this is most unlike you she said The cat told her that the christening service had been uh, interrupted when a bird flew into the church and there was such a commotion that they had to stop the service and the parson had quite lost his place in the service book and they'd had to start again from the beginning and he wasn't hungry now because he'd eaten tea afterwards in the church hall and on his way home he'd seen an owl and he was so frightened that he dared not delay at the fence to pick any wool in case the owl picked him. Very well, sighed the mouse. And what was the name of your godchild? All out, said the cat. And the mouse pondered to herself that there are some things about cats that mice will never understand. The next day, the mouse said that since the last chestnut had been eaten and the winter was taking hold, they should go and retrieve their precious hoard of winter food. Oh yes, said the cat thinking to himself that they had half a mile to walk to the church and that he was bound to think of something on the way that would keep him out of trouble. But when they came to the church, he'd still not thought of anything to say or do. The jar was standing where they had left it. But when the mouse looked inside and saw it was empty, she knew who was to blame, with a mouse's intuition. Oh, what have you done? she wailed. Top off! Half out? Be quiet, snarled the cat, and he narrowed his eyes at her. There was a faint, lingering smell of grease in the air, and it was, well, it was making his mouth water. Don't say another word. All out, squeaked the mouse, 
and the cat pounced on her and gobbled her up right there. And some who tell this story would say that that is the way of the world. Thank you for listening to this week's story from the Border of Sleep. I hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, the soundtrack for this week's podcast was from Finding Sanctuary by Anthony Salvo, and that's available from magnitude.com. Thanks also to my sound man, Tim. And uh, we'll be back in a fortnight's time with another story. And in the meantime, uh, we'd love to see you on the website. That's bordersofsleep.com, where you can subscribe, leave feedback, or there's a link there to the iTunes page as well, um, if that's the way you prefer to get your podcasts. And I suppose it just remains for me to say until next time, sweet dreams. (laughs) 